Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So bring on some impeachment. Or, wait, we already have impeachment. So bring on some impeachment trial. No, wait, we can't do that yet either. What's happening? Well, what's happening is is that Congress is doing the strangest thing I've ever seen uh, Congress do, and I should be more specific, the United States Senate. The United States Senate is about to engage in a conversation before it gets to the impeachment trial of Donald John Trump. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Now, it hasn't started yet. I'm monitoring it. Producer Ari is monitoring it. We're going to share it. And everyone has got to buckle in. Because this thing is going to go on for well over a week. I know. I know. I can hear. Hold on. Hold on. Nope. Nope. Your, your, mm-hmm. nope. Your, your screams have 150% made it this way. I can hear you. Man, that was a lot of work for a bad joke. Yes, this thing can last more than a week. Why? Because we have 16 hours of debate from each side. Game over, man. Game over. That's 32 hours, and you think, well, that could go pretty quick. Well, it really depends on how it is that they break it up. How many hours a day? 16, 16, 32. Did I say 36? My mistake. I apologize. I I was doing Democrat math on on dollar giveaways. So it, it really depends on how many hours they do each and every day. What's interesting is that the Senate can't actually do any other work. There's no other work that they can do. This is it. So all the other work in the Senate gets put on hold. So I hope they got everybody confirmed that they needed to because, well, there's no confirmations for now. But before we get to the 16 hours, which is going to also break on Friday night for for Jewish members for for Shabbat, which is also going to break on Sunday because they don't do work on Sunday. Before we get to any of that, we have to deal with what's happening today. And what's happening today is very strange. They're going to have a question, asking a question, putting it to the members of the U.S. Senate. And that question is, is this constitutional? Is this constitutional? How do you get to decide such a thing? I first heard this and I said, that's an odd, odd thing to ask. How weird, how, how clearly playing to the crowd. And then I started getting more bothered by it. A constitutional question is one that's answered by SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. It's answered by the judiciary. And that's part of the checks and balances. Congress, the legislative branch, doesn't engage this question. They can create laws. Of course, you've got taxation, which, which uh, spending, which exists in, in, in the House, right? The Senate is going to ratify treaties. Everyone's got their part to play. But you can get a law that starts in the House, then goes to the Senate, deliberated, then can be voted on, then would go to the president's desk to be signed or to be vetoed. But you don't engage constitutionality there. I'm not saying they should do things that are unconstitutional. I'm saying that we have a checks and balance for this exact reason. So what are they doing? Well, today, they're going to have eight hours of doing it. Four hours 
for uh, one side, four hours for the other, on whether or not this entire trial is constitutional. The argument being, President Trump not in office. What are you doing? I would argue that the impeachment took place while the president was in office, President Trump. And now, while you're looking at conviction, conviction is more than removing somebody from office. It's preventing them from having further office, holding an office of honor in the United States. The conviction could still take place. I don't think that the people arguing the constitutionality actually have a case to argue. That's my take. Lawyers might see it differently. I'll listen to them. They have more legal understanding than I do. That's why I went to one. And I spoke to William Jacobson of LegalInsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor. We take a look at what it is we're seeing, and they're going to hold a trial to decide whether or not it's constitutional for them to hold a trial? How do they even think they are allowed to do this? Yeah, hi, Tony. Well, uh, the Senate's going to decide whether they can move forward, but they are not the ultimate determiner of this. I mean, normally the courts leave the Senate and the House to their own devices. They get to make their own rules. They get to do other things. But now they are actually trying to impose a penalty on a civilian, somebody who is no longer the president. And were they to do that, then I think there's a uh, an issue for the court. But right now, I mean, you and I could get together and say, we're going to impeach the president and we're going to rule that what we're doing is constitutional, but that means nothing. So what the Senate is deciding means nothing other than the fact that the Senate is going to move forward. So it's not really a court ruling. It's not a ruling that has any basis for uh, being binding on anybody other than the Senate. And it might be binding, and the court might say hands off if this were the president, if this was a real impeachment trial. It's not a real impeachment trial because at a real impeachment trial, the Constitution says the chief justice of the Supreme Court has to preside. And he's not. Uh, We don't know why not. I don't think there's been an announcement from John Roberts' office, but I think it's pretty obvious he's not going to preside because this isn't actually an impeachment trial. This is some new thing the Senate has invented for Donald Trump. Now, William Jacobson is certainly right about one thing. This is for show, but we know that. And when you know that, it can be remarkably frustrating that they're going to waste this time. May may I suggest to you that you do your best not to be frustrated. That is a very ridiculous thing to say. Because I'm not not helping you. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. All I'm doing is making you angrier. I don't want to do that. I apologize. But I have no other good advice for you. This is for show. Rand Paul proved it when he put it to a vote to say, let's not even do this. Let's not consider this. He got 45 senators. Well, it's game over, right? And even when it comes, so when it comes to impeachment, when it comes to this, what they're doing, because of course they're going to vote to go forward, right? Of course they're going to vote to go forward. And then uh, the vote will come to a convict and they won't have the 67. 
you will have four or five Republicans who vote for to convict. That's 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 my take. I mean, and they're going to be, you know, uh, Mitt Romney, and and you'll have uh, Susan Collins, you'll have Lisa Murkowski, maybe maybe Ben Sass will be in there. I don't know who the f- fifth one is, but it's the usual suspects, right? That's who it'll be, and you get to decide who verbal Clint is. Th- that's that's what you'll have, but not sixty-seven. So of course this is for show. Now, this whole thing about John Roberts not being a part of it, this is really interesting. Because who's going to preside is Pat Leahy. And you're like, wait, Pat Leahy? Isn't that a senator? Yes, a senator from Vermont. Pat Leahy, Democrat. He is the Senate pro tem. So the Senate pro tem is the oldest member of the majority party. And since it's 50-50, the Democrats have the tie-breaking vote because of the, of the vice president, Kamala Harris. That's the Senate pro tem. The Senate pro tem is a very, it's, it's an honorific more than anything else, except it is constitutional in that President, Vice President, Speaker of the House, Senate pro tem. That is your succession chain in case something should happen and something should befall, uh, the, you know, the President, the Vice President, the Speaker of the House. Before you get to cabinet officials, you get to the Senate pro tem. Pat Leahy is going to preside. So a senator who you know is going to vote for conviction is going to preside over the hearings. That's weird stuff. You know the expression judge, jury, and executioner? Well, there you go. And what's funny about this is that you could go anywhere, right? It's so amazing how some things are so universal about the American experience that you could take two people uh, of different races, of different religions, of different genders, of different socioeconomic classes. You, you, you could make them as different as possible. And one way or another, whether said perfectly or whether said imperfectly, inconsequential, they understand three branches of government. And they understand that the idea of judge, jury, and executioner is totally un-American. They get it. Fundamentally, I remember when President Obama was trying to threaten uh, the Supreme Court. Wasn't trying. He actually did it. Threatened the Supreme Court about Obamacare, right? Because the case, uh, the, the, the law went to, to, to SCOTUS, and this before John Roberts did the unexplicable, the inexplicable and the unimaginable. Except it was explainable and uh, it was totally imaginable now that we understand John Roberts. And he reminded them that this was voted for. What, is, what does that matter? What does that matter that, they, that, that people voted for? The question is, is it constitutional? And I can remember interviews done in, 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 in the country, in the city, in the inner city, everywhere. And to a person, it was, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the Supreme Court decides if it's constitutional. It didn't matter where they came from. That very concept has well set, uh, uh, gotten itself in, in, into uh, American culture. And I'm thrilled about that. It's one of the, one of the things we should, we should hold on to and say, this is excellent and valuable. I don't know how, I don't, th- this, is, this is of course a show. Anybody's gonna buy into them deciding the constitutionality of this? No, because it's not a court of law. It's a court of public opinion. That's what this is. This is as, as much a struggle session as anything else. How much can you paint uh, Donald Trump? How much can you paint his supporters? How much can you paint 
members of Congress who don't vote uh, to, to convict. All these things. That's all it is. Everything what you're going to hear for the next week plus, sorry, is going to be sound bites that people can use for their political ads. Attack vehicles, attack mechanisms, all of it. That's what we're about to see. That's what we're about to hear. My problem is, is that I don't think we should go without hearing it. I think we need to hear it. I think we need to be able to share in it and what's happening and what's going on so we all have a basis. We all have an understanding of what got said by these so-called good, decent people, these elected officials of ours. And so we can make up our own minds. Not have it come through the lens of me or anybody else, but actually hear it for what it is. So when it starts, we're going to share it. But is it theater? It's all theater because certainly something can change. The danger of having the trial is that things can go wrong. But as it stands right now, the chances of conviction are zero. That's not going to stop people who want the theater so they can engage in their hate. I'm Tony Katz. The push to conflate immigration and illegal immigration continues apace. And now the Biden administration is going to curb ICE deportations of illegal immigrants. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. So according to the press secretary, Jennifer Psaki, who, by the way, is uh, certainly not an enjoyable person. Like, like she's, she's nasty. That, 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 is, that is all there is to it. She really and truly is. Uh, she is saying that the Department of Homeland Security would release new guidelines for Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, shifting the focus away from illegal immigrants who are uh, convicted of crimes or found guilty of crimes um, regarding DUI, tax fraud, simple assault, drug offenses, and solicitation. Man, do I want that deal. I mean, not for me, for producer Ari. He's got problems. But wouldn't that be great? You, you're guilty of tax fraud, but like, all right, we won't, we won't bother you with that. You can't joke about that. What? I, you're, are you, I thought you were joking that I committed tax fraud. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying you committed tax fraud, although I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you are such a tool. What? I'm just saying, if somebody's going to be audited between the two of us, better it's you. Yeah, fair enough. But if you were here illegally, you wouldn't have to worry about any of that. If you, as the American citizen, commits tax fraud, there's nothing the IRS won't do to come after you. They'll come after your business. They'll come after you personally. They'll break down your door. They'll find you at work. They'll tap your phones. There's nothing they won't do. But if you're here illegally, whatever. The president said we can't do that. We can't look at that. Tell the next cop who pulls you over after you had 14 too many, it's all right, I'm here illegally. They'll just let you go. They'll just let you go. By the way, do not take legal advice from Tony Katz or Tony Katz Today. It's a public service announcement from the staff and legal department at Tony Katz Today. But this is what she's saying. This is, this is monstrous. 
But what they keep doing is they keep trying to say that you, if you're on the political right, you're the one who hates immigrants. Conflating, all right, uh, legal immigration and illegal immigration. I have yet to run across the conservative who isn't okay with legal immigration. That doesn't mean that there isn't somebody out there on the political right. I wouldn't call them a conservative. I am saying that the idea that people oppose legal immigration, that number is nil. Opposing illegal immigration, that number should be larger. Without question. Joe Biden hasn't made anybody safer here. He has created a more dangerous, dangerous society. That brings us to a second conversation, which is about jobs. And Peter Ducey, who is now the Fox News guy in the White House, he's, he's not uh, Jim Acosta rude. He's not asking about personal. He's asking direct and pointed specific questions. Like in this case, you shut down all the jobs there in, uh, you shut down all the jobs in the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, when do those people get these green jobs you've been promising? Why is it that the Biden administration is gonna let the thousands of uh, fossil fuel industry workers, whether it's pipeline workers or construction workers, who are either out of work or will soon be out of work because of Biden EO, uh, when it is and where it is that they can go for their green job. And that is something the administration has promised. Uh, there is now a gap. So I'm just curious when that happens, when those people can count on that. It's a good question. It's a good question. Now, he's not the only one asking this or the only one angry with President Biden for canceling those jobs. I'll get to that. But check out Jen Psaki's answer. Well, I'd certainly welcome you to present your data of all the thousands and thousands of people who uh, won't be getting a green job. Maybe next time you're here, you can well, present no, that. But you said that they exactly how condescending is she? Would be getting green jobs, so I'm just asking when that happens. Uh, Richard Trumka, who is a friend, longtime friend mm -hmm. of Joe Biden, says about that day one Keystone EO, he says, I wish he, the president, had paired that more carefully with the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we are creating the jobs. So there's partial evidence from Richard Trumka. Well, you didn't include all of his okay. interview. How Would you like okay. to include the rest? So, so how about this? He included it right. And I'll share that with you. Jen Psaki does not like being asked tough questions. I'm Tony Katz. Impeachment starts today, except it's not actually impeachment. It's first the trial to see whether or not they have the constitutional authority to move forward with a impeachment trial, which is strange in and of itself. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. Now, I, I will ask, can anybody be um, somehow swayed? Is there anybody out there who really wants to hear the evidence that the Democrats have put forth and think that maybe they could be swayed in their opinion of whether or not former President Trump should be convicted? I'd, lo I'd love to hear it. 833, got 833-468-8669. Would absolutely love uh, to hear whether or not that person exists. 
Because I, 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 how could you not be curious? How could you not be curious about about that person? Like, well, I'd like to hear the what they have to say. Well, they think that Donald Trump and Donald Trump alone, by saying that we're going to fight, that he inspired thousands of people to riot and to attack the Capitol. That's the argument that they want to make. So is there anything they could say that would tell you that if, you know, that, oh, yes, clearly the president's rhetoric is what did this. Now, maybe there is something they could say, but is there something I could say that could counter the idea of that rhetoric? I I believe there is, but to explain it. We're going to need a Remember, the argument is that President Trump incited people to insurrection. That's the article of impeachment. It is a bad article of impeachment. Don't believe me? Believe Trey Gowdy. Once again, they, they picked the dumbest of all impeachment articles. I mean, you got Kamala Harris with Amy Coney Barrett. Remember that mother of seven. And she's telling the whole world that Judge Barrett's coming after your health care and coming after your reproductive rights and coming after your voting rights. I mean, if you're dumb enough to believe that, that's going to incite you, too. So what the president's lawyers are going to do is play those clips and say, you know what? If you're going to start penalizing hot political rhetoric, let's do it for both sides. Now, I agree with that. If you're going to go after hot political rhetoric, do it for both sides. But I promised you a montage. And that montage is of the political left engaging some hot, hot political rhetoric. In the Senate, Democrats are going to fight like hell to make this a reality. Americans who took to the streets this week have demanded change. With this legislation, Democrats are heeding their calls. I want the people of Pennsylvania, the people all across this country to know that we are going to fight like hell to protect your vote, to secure your vote, and to make sure that your vote is counted. How confident are you that Kentuckians are going to have the ability to vote freely uh, in November? Well, I'll tell you, I'm confident that we're going to fight like hell to make sure they can. We are going to fight like hell to make sure that everyone who wants to vote can exercise that right to vote. This election is coming, whether the president wants it or not, and we're going to fight like hell in Congress to make sure that the mail still works. Today, Biden's VP Kamala Harris told supporters in a fundraising note that it is time to, quote, fight like hell to protect the Supreme Court. Follow- wow. That's a lot of that's a lot of fight like hells. I don't know the last time I said fight like hell. That's a lot of people who said, it makes you wonder with all those people who said fight like hell, it makes you wonder whether or not there's some talking point out there that said, hey, don't forget to tell everybody every time you're on the TVs that what you're going to do is fight like hell. That's what it sounds like. Come on, isn't that it? 
Isn't that exactly it? There was some kind of of uh, missive that went out, and everyone said, uh, "Hey, here's what you do. Whenever you're on TV, you tell them you're gonna you're gonna fight like hell. You're right." And everyone's like, "Ooh, that's a hot take." Oh, hot, 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 hot. That's hot. And so that's what they did. Now this supercut that I've got, this montage that I've got, put together by the folks at, at Grabian.com. I mean, they even went old school. See if you can hear it. In the passing of late Justice Ginsburg. That legacy of rights needs to be continued. I'm going to fight like hell. Speaking for myself, I'm going to fight like hell. Aaron, we're going to fight like hell. The reforms, we're going to fight like hell to get those reforms in. I, and I know many other senators and members of the House, will fight like hell to make sure that we act and act as soon as possible. I just have one thing to say about the next eight days. I'm going to fight like hell. Neither the president will go into the White House and will fight like hell to make sure they get the health care they need. Mitch McConnell believes that this fight is over. What Mitch McConnell does not understand is this fight has just begun. You got you to gotta love a little old school Bill Clinton 1991 fight like hell in there. So now, who has engaged in the rhetoric that leads people to violence? Hasn't all of this led to the violence in Seattle and Portland and Indianapolis and Chicago and Minneapolis and New York? Isn't this what has incited people that you're supposed to fight like hell? Maybe we should go back to Chuck Schumer just a couple of years ago. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. Not violent at all. Well, admittedly, it came from Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer is the only guy in America where your accountant's like, I could kick his ass. But if we're going to talk about incitement, I mean, here, we're just laying it out on the table, which is why Trey Gowdy is correct, and we've been discussing it. You and me, we've been discussing it for weeks. The article of impeachment is pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. It can't get you anywhere. It is destined to lose. Now, if they had gone about a conversation that, for example, Andy McCarthy had, Andy McCarthy had the conversation over at National Review, being a former uh, prosecutor there in the Southern District of New York, that if they had said dereliction of duty, wait a second. That's interesting. As a matter of fact, if you read the article of impeachment and how uh, the, the impeachment managers have broken this up, they discuss dereliction of duty. But dereliction of duty as a discussion is not the charge in question. If they had taken their time, if they were a, a legitimate party in this case, they could have maybe thought of a better idea than saying uh, insurrection. But they didn't because they couldn't. Because when you're angry, when you are obsessed, you don't make smart moves. You're clouded.
That's exactly where they are. So it's too late for that. You're going to watch the pivot. This will be the entirety of the conversation. This will be the whole of the conversation. And it's not the conversation in front of us. The conversation in front of us is about insurrection and inciting an insurrection. And if we're going to argue that it is rhetoric, well, there you go. The leading Democrats, Bernie Sanders, Richard Blumenthal, the senator from Connecticut who lied about his Vietnam service, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Chuck Schumer, of course, in there, all saying, all saying we're going to fight like hell. I guess that's not seen as rhetoric that leads people to, to violence. But when they go down that road, they've got to look at their own history. So they got to knock that one out because it's so easy. So what else will they have? Well, let us discuss. I'm Tony Katz. And what we have promised the American people, we've said two things uh, in the last month. We said we're going to get you $2,000, and that's $600 plus $1,400. Well, that's a lie. That's Bernie Sanders talking to everybody's worst anchorman, Jake Tapper, on CNN, just flat out lying to you. Man, if you are in Georgia, you got screwed with your pants on. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. That's not what we were promised. We, you said, vote for Ossoff, vote for Warnock, you'll get a $2,000 check. Not 600 plus 1400 You said $2,000 check. What's it like to be a Bernie supporter? You were a Bernie supporter in 2016, and you got screwed by the Democratic Party. I mean, you just got abused from getting the nomination. There is nothing, nothing that that is more apparent and then bernie sanders clearly could have taken her out she controlled the democratic party she was getting questions beforehand you got abused and there was bernie sitting there at at the convention having to just sit there and look around and there's hillary getting all the accolades but what bernie at least had is he realized he controlled the party at that moment I mean, he, here they were applauding a, a socialist. And now the party is socialist. So, you know, uh, con- congratulations. Congratulations on, uh, on being able to do that. But then you saw it happen again in 2020. You're like, why did Bernie Sanders fold? Bernie Sanders could have kept going. Bernie Sanders could have gotten enough uh, delegates to the convention. But he's got a whole media outfit that was attacking him virulently. Too much of a socialist. Too much this. Too much that. Attack, 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 attack. I'll get out of the way. I'll give it to Joe Biden. But we'll work together on policy. And it'll be very, very good policy. I have no idea if that sounds like Bernie Sanders or not. So again, you're the Bernie supporter. And man, you got hosed. First, he didn't fight for the victory in 2016. Then he doesn't fight for the victory in, 20, in 2020. You're like, what's going on here? And the next thing you know, well, he's, he's going to be helping to, to, to put together the, uh, the, the, the policies, right? He's going to have a big, big part in policy. 
And now here he is telling you you won't get your $2,000. I want to know if the Bernie supporter feels just totally, totally abused. And if you do, well, now you understand what socialism is all about. Well, really, I mean, we should be honest that Bernie's not a socialist. Bernie says he's a socialist, a democratic socialist. But understand, Bernie is just a guy who likes to ease into things and ease you into things. Bernie, so we are all perfectly clear, not at all a socialist. Bernie's far worse. So you got to understand, he looks at this uh, and and this, you know, stimulus uh, payment and says, why fight it? We already sent out this one. We already sent out other ones. We'll send out another one. And then after we send that out, you know what we'll say? We still need to send out more. Let's tax those rich people. Robert Reich? Is it Reich or Reich? I think it's Reich. Right? Who uh, who was the, I think it was the Treasury Secretary under, under Bill Clinton? Why is it that the, the rich people made so much money? He was the Labor Secretary under Bill Clinton, not the Treasury Secretary. He was the Labor Secretary. Well, these rich people making so much money during coronavirus, we should, you know, engage more stimulus payments and we should tax the rich. That tweet got like 130,000 likes. This is your answer to everything. Tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. There comes a moment where you've taxed them. If you were to tax people 100%, if you literally took every bit of, of dollar that they had from every single American, still not paying off the debt. And now what do you do? We take a look at these dollars and cents as nothing more than, than really bad triage. Right? That, that's all it is. Right, we understand what triage is, the idea of prioritizing patients by the severity of their condition. You know, what is the, what are the chances they'll survive or not survive, things, things like that. That's what we do. That's, that's economic policy in the United States. And I will say it wasn't better on, under President Trump. It hasn't been good for three decades or more. We are terrible at not recognizing the disaster that the spending is, and we have to stop. We are the greatest nation on earth. It's not, we're not great because we wrote a check here and a check there and a check to the other place. Greatness involves sacrifice and greatness involves strength and greatness involves a recognition that there are things that government does and things that government doesn't do. And sometimes you gotta say, sorry, we're not doing that. Oh, sure. And these children get hurt? Well, maybe. That's a hard thing to say as a politico. But sometimes it has to get said. Not everything can be funded. Not everything can get a check. Not everything can be handled by, well, if these people would just pay a little more money. That's not the way it works. So you got to stop pretending. You got to start being honest. Bernie Sanders isn't honest. Bernie Sanders, like all communists, is remarkably duplicitous. He doesn't care if it's a $2,000 check or a $1,400 check. He's going to get you the $1,400 check. He's going to tell you how it's $2,000. And then 30 days later, he's going to say how he's going to get you another $2,000 check. 
Remember, the Democrats want to send out $3,000 a year to people who have kids between the ages of 6 and 17 for each kid. Building on the idea of the universal basic income, even though it doesn't work and we've got the data to prove it. They don't stop. So the Bernie Sander might be very, very disappointed. But the Bernie supporter will also end up being very happy because he loves the freebies. Your money. I'm Tony Katz.